0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast. I'm Cherry Raynard and with me today is Ben Seeger scott We're going to be discussing whether inflation really is beaten, rising commodity prices and the likelihood of recession. We're recording this on Tuesday the 3rd of October 2023. Before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographic region or industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements you should seek professional financial advice. So welcome, Ben. Um, let's start with US inflation. It it looked like it was in retreat and now we're not so sure. What's your view on that?
1: Yeah, uh, all, all very true. I mean, it, it's a volatile series, inflation, particularly the, the, the headline reading. I think we, we've said for a while, it's not going to be a straight line. I think this is, this is just an example of that. Now, there's, there's lots of different ways to look at inflation, headline inflation, which is normally one that gets picked up in the news core inflation that strips out some of the volatile elements. And there's all, all, all sorts of other ones sort of mixed in there. And like I said, the headline CPI reading, which incorporates most things, tends to be more volatile. And yes, you know, US CPI did tick up last month. But, you know, looking at a year on year reading, it was 3.7, um, which is up from 3.3 um, in July. But actually if you look at core inflation, and core inflation can be a little bit of a of a, of a better measure, it strips out energy it strips out food prices that continue to trend downwards. So it means we're not particularly concerned um, sort of uh, overall. What I would say, it's that core inflation that tends to act as a bit of an anchor. And within that, there's a shelter component that relates to, to ha- various housing costs. And that continues to tread down, trend down that that that's normally quite a, a sticky measure. But as that's coming down, it means it's something we don't think is, is too much to worry about, as it stands at the moment, some of the base effects are rolling off. It's really things like partly food prices, but really energy that's moving that that headline number around.
0: Okay, well let's let's focus in on that. So, oil prices were obviously an important part of that sort of tick up. I mean, what what do you what do you see happening there?
1: Well, I think with with the oil price and, and the energy price. More broadly, it contributes a lot to, to that headline rate. You know, energy rose sort of five point six percent year on year um, with it within the, the CPI measure. That accounts for almost sort of or a little over half of that big CPI rise. Um, And it's coming as, you know, we talked before, the base effects, the high prices last year compared to the lower prices this year. So it means you have this shifting window that can distort and and, and give you maybe not a fully accurate representation of what's going on. The window we're now in, we've moved past the period, if you put put your minds back to last year, we have very high um, oil prices around Easter into summer, then they sort of slip down. So that base effect of comparing very high numbers to lower numbers, that's moved out, we're now it, qu- broadly similar to, to where oil prices once they calmed down last year. Now, what's actually happened this year, oil prices w- were quite low and now they've sort of picked up. So they're now this, this sort of uh, a little bit of, of an inflection point, but not outside the, the realms of what I consider to be fairly fairly sort of normal. If you consider the oil price, we often say it trades; it, you know, it's very volatile and trades in a broad range between about 80 and, uh, and 120. And OPEC, the, which is a, a sort of cartel of oil-producing countries, they try and manage it in, in that range broadly. There are natural floors and natural ceilings, you know, when the oil price gets too low. Strategic petroleum reserves top up uh, their stores, obviously like the US and the UK, China and, and, and others. And then OPEC will, will manage the supply. So I don't think it, it's um, particularly surprising. It's nothing too much to worry about at the moment, it is going to make that 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 CPI reading a little bit more volatile. But I do think those that, that were expecting oil prices to fall, a lot of people thought oil's coming down, some of the geopolitical tensions may be resolving. And if you do think a recession is going to mean there's less demand and everything else, uh, that then oil price will fall. I think those people will, will have been disappointed.
0: Okay. And you mentioned recession there. The um, the consensus now appears to be for a soft landing in the US, at least. Um, I mean, what's your view on, well, whether the US is is still heading for a recession and also whether other countries, the UK, Eurozone, perhaps are, are also heading for a recession?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a, a couple of points to, to unpick in that. First, it, it's really, really hard to, to forecast recessions until they're either imminent. In fact, because they tend to be backward looking, you know, you don't know if you're in a recession till till kind of afterwards. And there's an old joke about you know, the stock market predicting nine of the last five recessions. So it, it is worth bearing in mind these are incredibly hard, hard to forecast. But I will just talk about which countries I think are most susceptible. But, but then I'll talk about the sort of nature of those recessions, because maybe that's more important. And actually, I think, ironically, America is not, not especially likely to, to fall into recession. I would say broadly it's probably 50-50. If you look at some of the the, the probability forecasts out there, they sort of swing around that. The, the US has actually been surprisingly strong uh, has, has had a lot of economic strength so far this year. So the, the probability of it falling into recession isn't that high. I would say countries that are perhaps or areas that that are more exposed, the UK does have some some sort of uh, troubles potentially ahead, as does much of the Eurozone, particularly Germany and and, and France. And if you look at the forecast for the next few quarters going into um, sort of early to mid 2024, the forecast, these are quarter on quarter forecasts, but they're quite low, they're not much above zero, some 0.1s, 0.2s, a couple of 0.0s. So it doesn't take a lot... Um, for those sort of roll roll over or, or just dip below that that level that marks recession equally I mean emerging markets they they have some 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 headwinds it, it's quite unlikely that the emerging markets go into recessions they tend not to because their growth is really quite high but their sort of break even level for for, fina- for economic difficulty is that much lower so you know they can they can get into difficulty there there as well so you know UK and Europe not that we're calling recession, but they look pretty close to, to that, that, uh, that break-even line, the US a little bit less so. But I think what's more important is to think about um, what a recession means, what's priced in. So even though of the, the the sort of developed economies, the US is probably less likely to go into recession, its market is also trading at premium, whereas UK and Europe uh, is trading a bit of a discount. So a lot of that bad news priced in. It's entirely possible that UK and Europe goes into mild recession, the US doesn't. But given those discounts and premia, you might not necessarily benefit from, from sort of market performance. And the other thing perhaps just to add in, um, when we talk about the, the probability of recession and whether we have one, again, we shouldn't conflate recession with financial crises, which are horrible, deeper, almost d- depressions. And um, all of the indications are any recession would be relatively shallow, and you know we've got huge amounts of business investment going in. There's plenty of scope for central banks once inflation is under control to cut rates to stimulate activity. So you know I, I think even though we are wondering do we get close to recession, do we dip into recession, any recession is likely to be mild. And you know I think that the technical definition of a recession is two quarters of negative growth. I mean there's not a huge amount of difference between maybe a zero and a minus 0.1. My, uh, uh, compare that to oh, a minus 0.1 and a minus 0.1. One's a technical recession, one isn't. I think what is clear is we're heading for some sort of slowdown. Whether or not GDP contracts a little bit um, is, is unclear. But, you know, I think the clear message is we're not expecting a really deep, dark downturn and the scope for recovery on the other side. Could could be quite compelling,
0: and uh, do you think that was why the Bank of England paused on rates, or was it purely an inflation consideration? You know, the inflation is now sort of beaten, rather than oh, growth is weak, so we have to act. Well,
1: I think that the Bank of England and other central banks have been quite clear. You know, we, we've talked a lot about the messaging coming out. We always focus on inflation and economic activity. Well, the central banks answered that sort of start of this year, late last year, they will deal with inflation, regardless what happens to to the economy. So I don't think the Bank of England is directly concerned about uh, the the short term state of the economy and whether or not we we do have a downturn. There's an indirect link, because an economic downturn helps bring down inflation. But I think looking into context that the base rate to now five and a quarter, there's a possibility there's one more, more hike, but not much more expected. Compare that to where we were a couple of months ago, and we were talking about maybe north of 6%. It would be pretty, pretty tight overall. And those expectations have moderated, and I think the Bank of England has has signalled um, these so-called hawkish pauses, which is a pause, but they've been very clear. See any signs of danger, they will carry on, carry on sort of hiking. But I think it reflects the the point central banks have now caught up. Last year, year before, while they were being very, very relaxed, uh, I I think part of the risk was they were behind the curve. Inflation picked up, so it's transitory, it's transitory, it wasn't transitory. Then they've got to raise rates to try and play catch up. Now they're a bit ahead of the curve. Um, Inflation is coming down. If you look at forward looking inflation, current interest rates are above that expected inflation. And that gives the Bank of England and others some scope. To pause. So I think what they're they're saying is, as inflation trends down, they think this restrictive level I- is going to be sufficient, and they can pause to, to see what happens. They'll be as, as aware as, as anyone that the lag between monetary policy tightening and the effects is variable in terms of, of, of length. Um, uh, no one knows quite how long that is. They'll be quite keen, I think, just to see some of that come through uh, and, and manage through that way. So I think... That, that's their current policy. The difference now maybe is they're looking at maybe keeping rates higher for longer. And that's something they have been saying for a while. Something we've said on the podcast and, and in our other publications for a while that maybe rates will not need to go as high as was expected, but maybe they'd be at restrictive level for longer. And that's sort of the mood music that, that's coming out, just making things a little harder for a longer period of time. Okay,
0: great. Um, now, uh, stock markets have been pretty wobbly, at least in the past week or so. I mean, does anything stand out to you in recent performance? Anything you'd highlight?
1: Well, I think, you know, that the, the market is is really adjusting to that higher for longer narrative. Um, and this idea that, that, that maybe those the rates won't be, some people are expecting rates, heights now and cut early next year. That seems pretty optimistic, as I think we've said for a while. And as markets are, have adjusted to that, Obviously, things like government bonds, where the yield is sensitive to, to rate expectations, that higher for longer narrative has, has meant there's been continued weakness in in bonds, particularly government bonds. Actually, gold has, has suffered a little bit as well. Now we are positive on gold because it gives very good structural elements to a portfolio. It's good, a good form of of, of, trium- of sort of risk mitigation for a variety of bad outcomes. There's structural reasons to, to hold it as well. But the reality is gold doesn't yield you anything. So when rates continue to push higher and higher, the effectiveness the effectiveness of gold sort of uh, can be diminished a little bit in the short term. So gold has come under pressure uh, as, as well. If we look at equity markets, there was a lot of enthusiasm sort of over the summer as we saw stronger economic growth, particularly from the US. But globally, the economy has held up. Now, I think people are coming around to this idea that because economies are holding up, the idea of interest rate cuts is a little bit further out, again, tying into to that higher for longer. So some of that enthusiasm uh, has been diminishing. That's been fairly broad based, but I think you can look within that and it's the rate sensitive areas. So the likes of utilities and real estate that have suffered in the sort of short term energy, as we see the, the rising oil price energy has done pretty well, um, perhaps as you'd expect.
0: And just finally, um, I wonder if I could get your view on emerging markets. It all looked really promising at the start of the year, but it hasn't it hasn't quite come out like that, you know, particularly with the weakness in China. I just wonder what your position is on that at the moment.
1: Yeah, I I think China's been a bit of a source of of disappointment this year for one intrinsic and one extrinsic uh, factor behind that. The intrinsic factor that that post-COVID reopening really stalled, it wasn't deployed very effectively, they, they got lots of bits wrong, some of the supply chains not coming on online in an orderly fashion, consumer confidence a little weak. So that reopening really stalled through the year and, and didn't properly take off. At the same time, as we said, the, the US economy has been surprisingly strong, that's translated to strength in, in the US dollar, and a strong dollar is not good for emerging markets, they, they tend to, to do badly when the dollar is strong. So you know, it has been a, a source of disappointment, uh, particularly in China and more broadly in the emerging markets. But I think in a portfolio, it's always good to have exposure to lots of different uh, risk premia, lots of different factors. Um, and within that, you know, uh, there's very different dynamics in China and emerging markets compared to what we're facing here in the West. Our conversation up until now has been interest rates, inflation. Well, if you look at China, their their CPI is flirting with deflation. They're looking at stimulus. Um, you know, of course, it's a problem, but it's a different kind of problem. So I think having some exposure in, in there probably makes sense. And I, I think we understand the disappointment year to date. I think the, the, those reasons, you know, that there there is uncertainty out there and a lot of the factors we expected earlier in the year didn't come to pass. I wouldn't be... Um, Wildly optimistic uh, about China in in the very short term, but don't forget, you know, you, you you can write these things off. China and emerging markets are looking pretty cheap, and now that they are flirting with deflation, they can provide more stimulus. Probably needs to be a bit more targeted. China in particular is going to avoid uh, causing too many of the problems in the property market that it's had before. But they do have stimulus that that they can deploy and kickstart. The, the, the economy. Um, and also, you know, emerging markets is not just about China. Um, India has some very interesting characteristics as well. All tend to be a, a, a bit more on the long-term strategic side. India has a uh, strong and uh, growing demographics, lots of economic potential, um, as, as does China to an extent as well. So I think there's good, strong long-term reasons that I, I perhaps um, always want to have some exposure. But in the short term, it has got 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 some challenges, but I wouldn't avoid it just because I think it has some of those those different dynamics that can be uh, an advantage to have exposure to for, for diversification reasons.
0: Great. Okay, thank you, Ben, for that roundup. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. All references and lines spoken about in this episode can be found in the episode show notes. And you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com, including our latest outlook where we look at emerging markets in more depth. Daniel Kasali will be back with us in the studio for our next podcast episode and we'd love to have you join us then if you can. Please do subscribe to our show if you haven't done so and you can rate and review us in the App Store. Until next time.